0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Today's gospel, as you just heard, is about everyone's favorite topic, forgiveness. (laughs) Forgiveness of others. But it's particularly about forgiveness in the church. Forgiveness within the family of God. Peter asked our Lord, how many times he has to forgive his brother. The warning of judgment at the end of the parable is that God will judge you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we can set aside for today uh, how we ought to love and extend forgiveness to people in general that is out in the world and focus in on how we ought to love and extend forgiveness to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because the standard is higher at home. It's not that you should treat outsiders poorly, but we should treat one another even better. Have we forgotten this? I would do anything for any one of you. But if the choice, much as I love you Ed, was feeding Ed or feeding Windsor, it wouldn't be a tough choice. We ought to love our family more. We ought to treat our family as such. We should love one another in such a way that it makes those who are outside of the family of God want to be a part of it. I think Jesus says something along those lines. That they, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. For most of us in here, as far as application goes, the teaching of Christ here in Matthew 18 Is going to come to bear most pointedly at home. The Christian, the brother or sister in Christ, whom you will have to repeatedly forgive, whom you will have to repeatedly ask for forgiveness, is your spouse. So you want to talk about the relevancy of the scriptures for everyday life. People are keen on application. You know, as if the vision of God in the blessed life of the age to come, is not enough. This is pretty relevant because you have the opportunity. Think about your closest Christian relationship. You have the opportunity every day either to implement or ignore the teaching of our Lord on forgiveness. And if you choose the latter, you do so at the peril of your relationship and even, according to our Lord, the peril of your own soul. Now, Peter asked, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Now, seven is the number of completion, the number of fullness, and in Peter's mind, this is a lot, and it is, especially if the offense is significant. But Jesus replies, no, 70 times seven. He uses this sacred number of completion, and he multiplies it, and this symbolizes boundless forgiveness. So Jesus is not saying 490 times is the limit. That's it. This is the 491st time that you've left the dishes in the sink. If I can defend my brethren, you need the hot water. You need a little bit of dawn. It's got to soak. It breaks up the food. The soak is not laziness. The soak is essential. We need more guys in this church so I don't get beat up. We aren't to keep a tally. That's not Jesus' point. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The idea of Boundless forgiveness within the body of Christ. Boundless, unlimited forgiveness. It may seem impossible. And without God it is. Without the grace of God it is impossible. And it may seem just idealistic. But it is eminently pragmatic. Because for your relationships, whoever that is, And if you're married to a Christian, that's your answer. In order for your relationships within the household of God to work, to be sustained, then this is what it's going to take. It's going to take 70 times 7. Unless you become self-righteous, You have to recognize that this cuts both ways. Yes, you will need to continually extend mercy and forgiveness to others. But others will need to continually extend mercy and forgiveness to you. And moreover, when it comes to our relationship with God, We are all in need of 70 times 7. And thanks be to God that we have it. Otherwise, we'd be up a creek, wouldn't we? What is your struggle? It's rhetorical right now. Sacrament of confession, if you want to make it not rhetorical. (laughs) What is your besetting sin over the course of your life? What is the mark that you miss continually over and over and over again? Whatever it is or whatever they are. It's oftentimes more than one, right? I bet you've committed that trespass more than seven times. Probably more than 490 times. Proverbs says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And most of us have been there. I need, you need, we all need, 70 times 7, to pray every day, thrice daily from the inception of the church. But to pray day by day, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, is not superfluous. It's not ascetical and liturgic overkill. It's essential. And this parable in Matthew t- 19, 18, rather, is that line of the Lord's Prayer in long form. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, there's a man who owes his king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent in the ancient world was a unit of monetary measure, and just one talent was worth a fortune. One talent was approximately 20 years Of wages for a day laborer. I mean to help put it in perspective, Herod the Great, if you remember him, he was the vassal king over Judea when Christ was born. His annual tax revenue was 800 talents. This guy owed 10,000 of them. So if we briefly and roughly transpose this into our own context. And it is is a rough transposition. We're gonna keep the math easy. The median salary for a worker in the US is just over $50,000. So 20 years of work, your boss isn't great, your company isn't great, so we're not gonna do coal or anything like that. 20 years of work at the same pay rate would be a million dollars, one talent. 10,000 talents would be $10 billion. And the number 10,000 in scripture it is, is hyperbolic. It's, it's like the way that we would use like a, a, a zillion. I eat a zillion m ms or something like that. It's an innumerable amount. So here in this parable, 10,000 is connoting an unfathomable amount of money. An unpayable debt. And therefore, on the part of the servant, a dire strait. As we read, the servant pleads for mercy. We can't miss that. He actually asks for forgiveness. And the king has pity on him, has compassion on him, and forgives the debt but this servant whose insurmountable debt had been forgiven was himself owed some money 100 denarii now a denarius was a day's wage so 100 of them would be about we'll transpose it again what you would make in a quarter 12,500 bucks so it's, it's no small debt like, if one of you owed me 12 grand, I'd, I'd want it back. Not that I'm going to start lending to parishioners. Probably not a good ecclesial practice. I'm going to avoid that. This was no small amount of money. I think that's important for us to understand. And our understanding of forgiveness. The offen- that the offenses against us can be significant. And as I noted a few weeks ago, to forgive or to ask forgiveness is not to imply that the offense is nothing, that it's no big deal, but precisely the opposite. Alas, the servant did not forgive his debtor, his fellow servant, his brother. He did not forgive as he had been forgiven even though the debt owed to him while sizable was minuscule it was as nothing in comparison to the debt that was forgiven him the more we understand the love and mercy and grace that god has lavished upon us and offers to us the more willing and able we will be to extend love, mercy, and grace to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we want such understanding, then we must come often to the foot of the cross and behold the Lamb of God. I've said far too many times, In the past few months, that the story of Exodus is the story of the gospel. So, we read this morning in our first lesson about what Christ has done for us. It was we who were in Egypt, enslaved to sin and death and Satan. By the precious blood of the Lamb, we have been redeemed. The debt that we owed death, if you will, for the wages of sin is death, has been canceled. God has brought us through the Red Sea, through the waters of baptism to freedom. And all this he did while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul writes in a section of Romans on baptism. Yet so often we do. Many of us could reply, well, look, Paul, I'll show you. (laughs) Like Israel in the wilderness, we as the church sometimes pine for Egypt. We collude and cooperate with the darkness from which we were, we were redeemed instead of cooperating with the grace of God, God, tending to the Spirit whom has been given to us. Yet, God's mercy is everlasting. He looks on us When we come to him in true faith and hearty repentance, he looks on us with compassion. God knows our frame. He knows we are but dust. He's not stingy in his goodness towards us. He doesn't give up on us. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He continually calls us to higher ground. And he runs out to greet us when we come back home. In Christ, we have been forgiven. Seventy times seven. And 70 times 7 for the Christian is a present reality. It's a present reality because it's perpetually offered to us. And so, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, as St. John writes. We are to extend mercy, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ, because God has lavished mercy upon us all. We forgive because we have been forgiven. But how do we do this? Again, it's only by the grace of God, of course. So then the question becomes, how do we cooperate with grace? One way is by heeding some ancient and practical wisdom. St. John Chrysostom gives some what I consider very practical and down-to-earth counsel with regard to relationships within the church and cultivating mercy and grace towards others. He He gives us Maybe the first three-point sermon in the history of the church. He says to do three things when someone offends us. And I'm not talking about what someone wrote on Facebook that you don't like. When someone offends you, that is commits an offense against you, sins against you, trespasses against you. The first thing he says to do is to make the sign of the cross. And this is good advice for all of life. I mean, it's never a bad time to pray, to put your heart before the cross, to invoke and to venerate the crucified and risen Jesus. The second thing he says to do And you can tell he read Matthew 18 is to view the offense leveled against you in the light of the offense leveled against Christ, the injustice against you in the light of the injustice against Christ, that they crucified the Lord of glory. Third and finally, and I, I think this perhaps can be the most helpful, especially in our closest Christian relationships. He says to remember the good that the offender has done in the past, and to view him or her in the best light. Possible. That's so good. He's not saying to be naive, but to give the benefit of the doubt and to consider that the person is not acting in his or her right mind, that he or she is not at her best. This is not the best version of this person. It's not about excusing bad behavior. It's not about avoiding conflict. It's rather having conflict in good faith. To believe the best about your brothers and sisters in Christ. We've we've lost that plot, haven't we? Culturally. We interpret people's words and actions in the most uncharitable light possible. And then we cancel them, we throw them out with no hope of redemption. Has that mentality seeped into the church? Yes, perhaps it has. Has it seeped into our homes? and into our hearts. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a high bar. This word's overused, but it's a radical teaching. But where it begins is by remembering the cross. Remembering that God offers forgiveness to all those who with true faith and hearty repentance turn unto him. Yes, we, we all need to grow in our ability to extend Forgiveness to forgive as we have been forgiven. But we also need to learn, if we have not learned it, to ask forgiveness, to recognize when we've sinned against God and our neighbor, learn to humble ourselves and to ask for mercy. We need 70 times 7. And we have it in Christ, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, lives and reigns now and forever, world without end. Amen.